So we are still working with the Four Noble Truths on the Eightfold Path, and we're on the factor called Samadhi, wise Samadhi, right Samadhi, balanced Samadhi. This word is most often translated as concentration, but that word really is not adequate. Um, so I'm going to primarily just use the word Samadhi. My first experience with um, this meditative state that the word samadhi points to uh, was actually back in college, the summer I spent in Kolkata um, volunteering with Mother Teresa's sisters. I would go every night to the mother house uh, where they said adoration, um, evening prayers, uh, and it was about an hour long um, um, meeting or gathering. And the first part of it was saying the rosary. And then the second part was half an hour about a silent meditation. Coming from um, my good Presbyterian background, I had never said the rosary before. I didn't know what the rosary even was other than I'd heard the term. So if you don't know uh, what the rosary is, you have this string of beads. And I actually, I have my beads that Mother Teresa gave me in the kitchen. I was going to bring them to show you what the rosary looks like, but they're there. Um, uh, but the string of beads, for each bead, you say a Hail Mary, and there are 10 of them in a row. And then there's a, a end bead that you say, um, um, the, our, our father prayer, and then you do 10 more Hail Marys. And, and you do this there, I think there are five sets of 10 um, around the whole string of beads. So it takes about 25 minutes to say the whole rosary at high speed. So the way I learned the rosary in, in the mother house in India um, was at this speed. Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. <laughs> so, so that's one bead. It was from the very first night I went, something I needed. There was this mesmerizing um, rhythm and flow to saying the rosary that offered an anchor and a stabilizing for my mind in a way I had never really experienced before. Uh, and that was samadhi. I mean, once you get into that rosary, especially if you're in a room with, you know, a couple hundred people, saying this rosary all together and there's this quiet other than the than this like movement um, flow or river of these words there's a rhythm that really becomes um, sort of self-sustaining and it's no longer actively trying to say the rosary or say the words it's the rosary being said it's, it's unfolding and you're kind of in the midst of it and it's happening and it's there. Um, and it's kind of a hard place to describe, um, but it's very calming and soothing to have that place that the mind can just rest in this natural self-sustaining rhythm.
there's often um, with samadhi, the term effortless effort uh, often comes up with it. That's the quality that not, not necessarily the rosary. I mean, there are people have accessed samadhi um, states in many traditions in many, many, many ways. Many spiritual traditions have kind of a mystical uh, prayer um, as part of them, which has this, this quality um, available in us that in the Buddhist tradition, it gets this name samadhi. So that's what we're looking at, um, this, this quality of samadhi today. There are lots of ways of looking at meditation. One is um, to divide it up into two basic categories, a mindfulness meditation and a concentration or samadhi um, meditation. Mindfulness that we just talked about is really this opening up, full opening to what's here in this moment now kind of a willingness to see the whole and be with it without judgment. The very particular quality of wise acceptance. Um, concentration or samadhi is picking one object, whether it's a prayer, whether it's the breath, whether it's a body scan, whether it's a loving kindness practice, Picking one object, a flower, a tree, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is, um, but something worthy of contemplation. So picking one object and putting all of the awareness, the attention, intentional attention on this one chosen object. What we often practice is actually kind of a hybrid of these two. We often use the breath as our primary anchor, and that's the samadhi, the con developing concentration. And when the mind gets distracted, we turn to a more open acceptance of being able to see where the mind has gone, pause, take note of it, come into right relationship with it, and then come back. So it's kind of a blending of these two. And so what we're going to really look at today is a pure samadhi practice, which is actually not something um, I tend to lead very often, which is why I put this first, and then we'll have a samadhi um, practice after the talk. Like I said, the, the word samadhi is most often translated as concentration, our typical use of that word is um, in a sort of contracted, tight, hard way. Like if you think of the kid at school concentrating hard, they probably got their eyebrows all scrunched up together, leaning over their work and working really hard. That's kind of the image that often comes up with this being concentrated. That's not this. This is, um, it's more akin to an open flow state that's focused on one place. I like Donald Rothberg, uh, he's a wonderful teacher, and I love the way he, he describes it. He describes it as devotional practice. Uh, and, and when it's the breath, he says this devotion to breath um, um, is really about bringing a devotion to 
the essence, the mystery, the source of life, uh, and, and bringing a kind of right respect um, and wonder to, to this. It really changes the tone and invites the heart right into this samadhi practice. Other translations include unification of the mind, gathering of the mind. Those, those definitions um, fascinate me when what's kind of happening in mental health as we understand the whole concept of the amygdala, our fight, flight, freeze, and the flipped lid uh, is that mental well-being is about, you know, if you think about our hand model, the flip lid is the brain not working together. And what we're looking for is how to bring a unified, unified whole brain back together to, to a place uh, that brings a sense of well-being naturally to it. When we start to move into that kind of unified mind space, there's really this profound stillness that starts to happen. Uh, absorptive practice is another term that's often used. So in terms of like, why, why do this? At a very plain, basic level, samadhi has this natural ability to stabilize our minds. And a stabilized mind feels good. That was kind of the basic lesson I learned going every night to the mother house um, for that summer was there. And, and you know, I, the, the prayer of the rosary, me not being Catholic, it wasn't necessarily the words that um, um, were that meaningful to me, but I actually said the rosary after that for many years, just because of that rhythm and that flow and that mesmer, that, that devotional um, space of stillness that I could then access um, through that form. It feels good and it's useful. The more we start to cultivate this ability for the mind to unify in a stabilized way, the more we begin to be able to rely on that when our minds are upset. Uh, um, just kind of, I, Nancy, I hope you don't mind me drawing from your example. Um, we all have our moments where we get flustered, but then isn't it beautiful when we have a practice that we can then pause and, and draw from that sense of the mind has some stability that we can come back and home to that, we, that allows us to see a situation differently and move in it in a different way. That right there is the usefulness um, um, of samadhi. When, when this practice is cultivated at the deepest level, it's, it's powerful. And I just want to share several um, um, people talking about samadhi and the impact. Shinzen Young is a Western mindfulness teacher uh, American mindfulness teacher, uh, this really interesting teacher. Here's what he says. Samadhi is the single most universally applicable and deeply empowering skill that a human can cultivate. That's, that's a powerful statement. Samadhi is the single most universally applicable and deeply empowering skill 
that a human can cultivate. Matthew Brinsilver, uh, another uh, American mindfulness teacher, Western mindfulness teacher, he says the power of samadhi is that because of the unification, the uni- the, it's, um, samadhi is so powerful because the unification of mind helps us do everything we might do better. It almost remarkably makes pain more tolerable, much less burdensome, makes pleasure more satisfying, richer, makes self-understanding more and more accessible. And the last person, uh, Deepa Ma, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with her. Um, She was a, a powerful mindfulness teacher living in um, Buddhist householder teacher living in Kolkata at the same time that I was there that summer. And I think back to Deepama was there and I didn't, didn't know about her um, to go um, um, uh, be with her or study with her. But anyway, she uh, was somebody who was just known to radiate love and wisdom and a root teacher of many of the prime um, Western mindfulness teachers such as um, Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, many others. Um, When she was asked, what is the nature of your mind? She said, samadhi, metta, which is loving kindness and peace. So training in learning how to access this concentrated state. It's really fundamental to this practice. And no matter how deeply we train in these concentration practices, in these samadhi practices, no matter how focused the mind becomes, samadhi itself is never enough for to relieve suffering. That was kind of the breakthrough insight of the Buddha, uh, one of the many. <laughs> if you think back all the way to when we started this in January, and I started with the story of Siddhartha, uh, who became the Buddha, you might remember when he first left the palace um, on this quest to understand the nature of suffering and the relief of suffering. The very first thing he did was to go study with um, um, holy men who had reached kind of a pinnacle of concentrated meditation states. Uh, And so the story goes, he studied with um, at least two of them. He mastered the practice of samadhi at its most profound depths. Um, And what he then found was that no matter, even though he had reached the like the pinnacle that you could go in this route. What he found was that when you came out, when he came out of those absorptive states, the suffering, dukkha, was still just sitting there waiting. It never made it go away uh, when, when he came out. So his insight was to use the stability of samadhi the mental clearing of samadhi to gain insight, wisdom, 
into the nature of reality. So a common way of practicing in the Vipassana um, tradition, um, um, one of the Buddhist tradition that really focuses on these early, early, early teachings of the Buddha, uh, a common practice is to use a concentration meditation at the beginning to, to gain a sort of stability and then move into insight practice. Uh, a more mindfulness, um, open contemplation um, of the nature of things. And if you just want to feel better in terms of living with the craziness of these human minds, samadhi is a really good place to start. So before we move into our own practice with it, I want to talk a little bit on how, um, what this practice looks like. And first, it's choosing an object of focus. The most common by far is the breath. But as I said, it doesn't have to be the breath. It can be the rosary. <laughs> it can be a meta chant, a different mantra, a flower, a tree, a body scan. But it's, it's very clearly picking one spot and then staying with it for a long time. Once I got trained in the rosary, I had a certain groove in my mind that saying the rosary could allow me to access that switching it up. <laughs> you know, I didn't have I didn't have a, a, a different groove um, yet established. So the rosary really was for a long while kind of a root practice for me because that, you know, three months of saying it virtually every night really did give me a um, um, a training that was invaluable for being able to access this, this kind of place. So if you want to develop the, the practice, you pick one thing and you stay with that one thing, not just for that practice, but for an extended period of time to develop this quality of samadhi. And then there's this interesting balance that we're exploring in the samadhi between both an active effort and a receptive effort. And as I named Donald Rothberg um, earlier. A lot of this, this, a lot of these teachings actually come straight from him. I did a retreat with him a few years back uh, that was just beautiful on this, and I kept my notes because uh, it was so so helpful. So this balance between active effort and receptive effort, there's definitely an active effort. You know, we have to choose what we're going to stay with and, and, and set the intention that I'm going to come back to it again and again and again. But when I come back to it, it's not that tight holding um, um, that sometimes the word concentration brings to mind. It's more like a releasing into a deep receptive releasing into, if it's the breath, which is the one we'll practice with, into the flow of the breath. Uh, Donald Rothberg describes it this way, giving ourselves over to the breath, receiving the message of the breath. Uh, and just remember that term he used that I love so much, the devotional practice. Eventually, playing with this balance between active and receptive effort 
a sort of effortless effort begins to emerge. Uh, there's this, this rhythm where it was no longer me saying the words of the rosary, the words of the rosary were being said, um, an experience of their unfolding. So three stages, uh, one, uh, connect with the object, two, beginning to stay with it more fully, kind of in the first connecting with the object, the mind's all over the place, a lot of energy, and we're just kind of going, you know, breath here, breath there, breath, you know, whatever, <laughs> bouncing all over. But eventually I get to a place where I can stay a little more fully, a little, have a little more sustained attention. And in this place, um, background thinking starts to get quieter. And the third stage is um, where that effortless um, effort, that kind of automatic begins to come up. And it's not necessarily that there's no thought at this stage. But thought can become very quiet and not distracted, not distracting. And as you go deeper and deeper and deeper, um, um, you know, people describe profound states of stillness um, and absorption. When we're in that second kind of first and second stage where there is background thought, um, body sensations, whatever, that are still distracting. The teaching for what to do with that is a little different than in normal, than what we typically um, do. Whereas we'll say, notice where the distraction takes your mind, you know, like look at it, pause, note it take a breath with it, have a moment of kind of compassion for this is what the mind does. Um, and when you're ready, allow movement back into the breath. You don't do any of that if you're really trying to cultivate samadhi practice. The mind's going to hop off. That's, that's just normal. That's just part of it. Um, but the moment you catch it hopping off, it's back to the breath like kind of using the gravitational pull of the, of the, of the breath to here, 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 here. The more we do that, the more background thought becomes natu naturally starts to decrease by this kind of, energized devotional attention to the breath. Like I'm bringing some energy to, to wanting to this connection with the breath. All of that said, there's an important caveat. And that is if we're trying to do samadhi practice and something's coming up that's not going away, that's causing suffering, and I'm, and I actually am starting to get in a fight with myself about it. You know, I don't even have to go that far. I don't have to wait for the fight. If it's something that needs attention, that wisdom and compassion would say, give some care to what's coming up. You then you lay down samadhi practice and you turn the caring, the 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 willingness to care for this body, mind, heart to what needs attention. Um, so it's never, it's never meant to be a straitjacket. 
um, wisdom and compassion are always the guides um, to the practice. What's interesting is the more we develop this practice, uh, the more we kind of know how to reliably access this open-hearted, focused attention, the less those kind of things arise that really need to pull us away. So I want to name a few challenges, and then I want us to practice. Uh, challenge, first challenge, uh, and again, these, these come from uh, Donald Rothberg's um, retreat. Um, first challenge is, is when the mind is overly active, too much is going on. If you notice that there's just too much energy at the moment, it's not real wise to sit, to try to sit and, and fight this energy. Get up, do something, take a walk. Uh, he was big on Qigong, do Qigong. Um, I do yoga instead. Um, lots of times uh, if my mind is just really distracted and I am at the place I want to sit, I count. I, I count my breath uh, and I count to 100, 100 breaths. If I can get to 100 breaths, believe me, by that time I have found some way to bring some focus um, through the energetic mind. But if it's really active, do something to take care of that. The second is our old friend sleepiness. Uh, I love that the Ronald Rothberg said this first. If you need to take a nap, take a nap. <laughs> you know? If that's what the body needs, make sure you're listening to what the body needs. Uh, if not, sometimes it's more that there's a lethargy that doesn't need sleep. It's just kind of like I'm falling into a habit, dull, dullness of mind. Uh, you can stand up, um, open your eyes, do things like that. One of my favorite practices when that comes up for me is to turn the attention to sleepiness in the same way I would explore any other distraction. How does sleepiness manifest in my body? How do I feel it? Third one, uh, if the difficult stuff comes up, and I feel like we've already talked about that, and making sure you tend to it in some wise and caring way. The fourth is attachment to samadhi states. Once you get a taste of this, it does feel good. And it can, it can start that good feeling, that wanting that good feeling can start to actually drive the practice in a way that it's not so much the practice is in service of our life, but rather um, the practice is offering a really nice escape <laughs> escape to our, from our life um, in this place. Uh, I have known people who have gotten really skillful at deep samadhi practice who really have a hard time attending to their life because it feels more important to be in the meditation than, than dealing with that stuff of daily life. And the last one I want to name is striving. You hear all of this uh, and, and it's just normal that the first thing that comes up is, well, I want it. And so you sit down and practice and like, okay, I've just got to find this samadhi where, you know, and I start like, like um, um, pushing myself in a way that is never going to open up and, and come naturally. 
if you really want to develop this practice, it takes kind of some intentionality. Like that summer, I had this kind of natural setup of the rosary every night to be able to, to taste something of it. Um, it takes a dedication to, um, I want to set up a, a schedule or, or a support that allows me to stay with this in a concentrated way over an extended period of time. And if we do that, fruits of this will come and do open up. Um, there are a lot of books and teachers and retreats you can now go on to kind of help develop this skill if that's something that, that speaks to you. But just even in, in daily practice, bringing some element of attending to strengthening concentration, um, samadhi in our minds, can be a huge source of well-being for us.